Hello Breakers! I am Mike Senior and I am here with veteran spam wrangler John Whitten for the <laughs> 23rd episode of Project Studio Tea Break. I tried, I tried to let us get a couple of sentences into the episode before interrupting you and asking for clarification, but I'm afraid I won't make that on this occasion. Hi everyone, I'm John, that's Mike. What? What's that? What on earth is that? Why, you were telling us how you'd fallen foul of your spam folder for the second time. <laughs> And that you had a regular weekly spam reminder. I do. It was yesterday. And yesterday, I dutifully looked through about 30 emails <laughs> promising me, like, a larger Nigerian bank account if I just took a couple of pills. And there was nothing important in there this time. Vigilance is what it is. 100% vigilance. It is. It is. I don't care how many threats of... Bitcoin banditry I have to read through. Mm. Eventually there will be uh, an important casting call, which I will actually catch this time. I hope, sometime before I die... For Bitcoin the musical. Wait, that must exist. <laughs> oh God, it must, must. Oh, no. Now, Mike, you're sounding a little bit deep-voiced, a little bit punk rock, I might even say. So yeah. how have you earned <laughs> this here tea break? I am, as much as a tenor can, channeling the spirit of Tom Waits. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it it was my wife's birthday a couple of days ago, and we got a little bit lashed. Good on you. Uh, just before we came on air, you, you did a fabulous way of expressing the fact that I'm still hungover two days after I was <laughs> on the lash. <laughs> oh, I, I simply mentioned that uh, we're recording this on a Friday, and the party was on a Wednesday, so you're not hungover, you're just living a Friday sus Wednesday. <laughs> no, just, uh, <laughs> and that's got to be my new favourite description of a hangover now, it's kind of a, a suspended yesterday. There's this special kind of humour where the less people it appeals to, yes. the funnier those seven people find it. This is my hope, anyway. <laughs> yeah, have you earned your tea break this month? I definitely like to think so. Um, mm. Our listeners won't actually be aware, but for the record... I live in Berlin. Really? I do. I do. It's very trendy, <laughs> very cool. Last night I was at a bar where the stools were books. <laughs> Honest, no, honestly. It was even weirder than that. They had stools and they'd screwed books to the top, like as pillows. Okay. Yeah, like radical leftist literature. And I'm not sure if sitting on it was a mark of respect or... A... <laughs> I was going to say, that's a fine line between comment and comfort. Yes, it was. I, I was I was very confused. <laughs> but we are, we are moving away from Berlin in a few months. Oh, you are? Wow. Not currently quite sure where to and wouldn't say it, you know, on the episode if I was... In, in the hope of not being swarmed by fans. Well, the security concerns, obviously. The, the major security concerns. Real estate prices will go up, so <laughs> you want to get in there quietly before the rush. Exactly, otherwise every cool flat will be taken. Mm. But so have begun the business of winding up work and the dreaded abmelding, the unregistering through the German bureaucracy. Oh, so, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you know what? If I want to sit down... Couple hours with a cup of tea. I've absolutely earned that. I think so. Um, just a quick update. I have found on SoundCloud a song from Act 4, Scene 2 of Bitcoin the Musical. Oh, written no. and directed, I should say, by John Barrett. <laughs> oh, dear. And I'm just going to read you the... Um... Why does humanity have to live up to the very worst things we expect of it every time? <laughs> here's, here's the description of the song. The song is called Put Your Money in the ICO. <laughs> scene 2... And remember, this is Act 4, Scene 2. So well, it takes that long just to explain the thing. Scene 2 opens with Stanley and Loretta at the state fair. <laughs> While Loretta is having the time of her life, Stanley is secretly nursing the worst and only hangover, Suscord, of his life. 
The couple is drawn to a travelling troubadour and his band who have attracted the attention of a large crowd. This troubadour proceeds to tell the people how to make a lot of money investing in his ICO. This number is a real showstopper. Mm. I don't disagree. But showstopper can mean a few different things. It's multivalent. Yeah, there you go. Show ender might be the... Um... Well, it is Act 4. It is Act 4. It should have ended in the previous act. <laughs> Hopefully we're not too far away. Wow, there's one called Get Yourself a Little Bit of Bitcoin. I'm going to listen to all of these later. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm very excited. Well, I'm extremely excited as well. Mm. In fact, I'm officially now a ball of purest smug. Oh, do tell. Because the Grammy Awards were just announced. Did you catch the news? <gasps> Gosh, I was going to lead with this. Yes, the tip you gave, the bet you placed on this unknown 13-year-old singer-songwriter, this new Shania Twain, um, <laughs> has really made rather good, hasn't it? It's like all four of the general awards, like Record of the Year, Album of the Year, Song of the Year, and Best New Artist. Mm. And in addition, kind of a less headline thing, Phineas O'Connell, her producer guy and brother, of course, won Producer of the Year and Best Engineered Album. Wow. Wow! And they also just won a little side award of Best Pop Vocal Album as well. <laughs> Although I have to temper my smugness slightly because the song I got all worked up about, which is Bury a Friend, mm. wasn't the one that won all the awards. <laughs> and there are plenty of songs I've got worked up about that have won no awards at all. So. <laughs> which was the song that got especially lauded? It was Bad Guy. Oh, right. Okay. And furthermore, what excites me even more is that she has been confirmed as the writer of the next Bond theme. No! The youngest ever, of course. At this stage, that's hardly surprising. The new Bond film, No Time to Die, which does sound a lot like it was generated by an automatic film title generator. It does a bit, doesn't it? So, of course, I had to look and see whether there was actually an automatic Bond film name generator. Of course you did. You ask the internet... <laughs> <laughs> and the internet provides. So, Mike, I don't suppose you don't suppose you took the liberty of hitting that generate button a couple of times for me and the listeners. Once or twice. Um, <laughs> there were some pithy ones. There was mm -hmm. Octo Moon and Skyball, both of which I, I loved the idea of. There were plenty of random ones that I loved. There was Diamond Raker. Diamond Raker. <laughs> I enjoy very much. Die on Her Majesty. <laughs> <laughs> and my favourite of those ones... Thunderfinger Royale. <laughs> Some of them went off to be just plain confusing. There was, for example, The Man with the Golden Gun is Not Enough for Your Eyes. <laughs> and, and Tomorrow Never Says Never Another Daylight. <laughs> that, no, that's the best one. That's the one they should have made. Oh, no, 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 no. The two best ones by far, however, were mm. The Spy Who Goldfingered Me. <laughs> Oh, God. Of course you hit it until you got that one. <laughs> and of course, a view to a pussy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my Just altogether God. too much fun. Yes, I think, I think far too much. <laughs> God. <laughs> Spy who goldfinger. Yeah. <laughs> We've got to have that link in the show notes. I've got to, I've got to waste my own half hour on something like that. I'm just going to bring us back down. I've managed to find some lyrics. This is from Act Two of Bitcoin the Musical, no. um, which is apparently a Christmas musical. Now it turns out, as if singing about financial product wasn't bad enough, you have to introduce the sleigh bells as well. Get yourself a little bit of Bitcoin. Oh. Let your heart be light. God. 
And in time, the value will be out of sight. <laughs> Very sweet. Yeah. So it seems pretty unambiguously pro. Admit it, you're on the board. Yes, there you go. You're, 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 what, you're the president of Bitcoin. You're the backer. Backed by big Bitcoin. I'll try saying that five times fast. Goodness me. Billie Eilish was also great on Carpool Karaoke. Don't know if you saw that. Really? I didn't know. The thing is, you know, I, I've already said that I was really worried that she might just, like, burn out. Yeah, you did. I was just concerned about her, her kind of mental state and health and stuff. Mm. But she just came across as so grounded and smart. Mm. She didn't just sing along with the, with the stuff in the car. She also played one of her songs, just her and ukulele, and it was fabulous. She's such a good singer. I wondered. And best of all, they went to her house yeah. to show the room where they recorded and everything. She terrorised James Corden with her kind of tarantula-sized pet spider. <laughs> <laughs> In the most brilliant and slightly wicked way. And I thought, well, that's kind of karmic retribution, really, for his rolling cats. <laughs> the natural world is getting its own back. Speaking of which, okay. I think we may have misjudged the film adaptation of Cats last month. Mm. We've not viewed it within the right context. I mean, I'll be honest, I haven't viewed it. <laughs> because since our discussing it last month, mm -hmm. I discovered that uh, the Washington Post have since printed a number of extremely positive audience reviews. Really? Yep, I'll give you some examples. The most incredible cinematic experience of my life. Right. I was so delighted. I was like, is this genius? Is this the best thing I've ever seen? <laughs> Cried both times, planning on going two more times. My goodness. And the secret to unlocking this film's inner beauty? Do tell. Is, of course, magic mushrooms, LSD, <laughs> edibles, poppers or weed, depending on the person. <laughs> Are you serious? Although, whether it's the film that's causing this, I'm not sure, because one person did apparently report bursting into tears before the film even started during a trailer of Trolls World Tour. <laughs> Brilliant. As you can imagine, though, mileage did vary somewhat. Okay. And it didn't always go well. So there were also some quotes from people who said things like, the most terrifying experience of my life. I swear to God, my soul escaped me. Well, I did wonder, is that a risk you would take? I don't think I would. I'm 36 and announced, I'm scared to my fellow moviegoers at least seven times. It's a special kind of evil. <laughs> and here's another one. Vomited four times. Oh my God. But ultimately understood the film on a deep level. I, I applaud <laughs> the bravery of these modern heroes. Totally. These modern philosophers taking the plunge. <laughs> but my goodness, that's terrifying. Oh, and also I have to fess up to a mistake on my own part. Oh yes? Um, The choreographer of Hamilton Hamilton mm. is um, Andy Blankenbuehler. Okay. Not Andy Frankenbuehler, as I said. Is that what you said? It's a strangely Freudian slip, really. <laughs> That's a Rocky Horror Picture Show character that you've just credited <laughs> Hamilton to. And also with the cats all being these kind of Frankenstein monster creatures. I can see where I got the inspiration <laughs> from. Now, as we have just had the NAM show in Anaheim, California, you can be sure that there will be a flurry of new Project Studio product releases. Mm -hmm. And here at the Project Studio Tea Break News Desk, we are here to separate the wheat from the chaff oh, yes. and navigate you to the undisputed highlights. <laughs> I am effervescing with excitement, Mike. I love you so much. <laughs> 
As a quick amuse-bouche, mm. we can kick off with the 2020 Silly Product Name of the Year Award <laughs> for the manufacturer of Boss with their product Wazza Air. Oh, God. Wazza Air. <laughs> Do you want to guess what it is? Well, see, I always give it a shot because I'm I'm a fan of onomatopoeic <laughs> naming conventions. Okay, okay. And, and air to me sounds like maybe some kind of expander. All right, yeah. Maybe some kind of, I don't know, it could be a pad, it could be reverb, something that gives space, mm. a spreader. Um, I mean, it sounds to me like some kind of discrete personal ventilation system, frankly. <laughs> 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 but actually, what have we got? It's a wireless headphone-based guitar amp emulator. Okay. So you plug a jack into your guitar, and then it connects wirelessly to he- your headphones with a guitar amp emulation. So uh, much less exciting than it really should have been, given the name. I was going to say, <laughs> that sounds handy, <laughs> but something that should have been called the plug-in headphone yeah. guitar experience. Yeah. You know, with a yeah. boring name for a functional but not an exciting product. But for me, the headline of the NAMM show really was that it was a bit of a Revenge of the 80s kind of show. Do tell me more. <laughs> a couple of things that really caught my eye. The first one was a 500 series recreation of the AMS... RMX-16. Ever heard of this box? I haven't, no. Tell me more. Well, uh, the AMS RMX-16 was one of the very first digital reverbs. Mm -hmm. And in particular, it has a patch called Non-Lin and Non-Lin 2. Okay. Which was basically the gated reverb effect that was the scourge of the 80s. We're talking about that snare. Yeah, it's the gnome sneezing into a sheet of (laughs) tinfoil. It's between that and (laughs) farting down a drainpipe. Yep, I can get on board with that. It's those strange (laughs) kind of noises that that you got all over the 80s. And AMS, of course, still exists, AMS Neve. Mm -hmm. And finally, of course, they have brought out a recreation of the original unit, but in 500 series format. Okay, exciting time to be alive. My immediate question was, why the f***? Would you want an original digital <laughs> unit of that? I mean, yes, it might have a bit of analog sound to it, like all those supposedly digital products back then, but oh my god. I mean, couldn't you just model a thousand of these on, on the DSP in your Apple Watch? Mm. I mean, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> and of course, it's only 995 quid to you, sir. Right. A grand. So, okay, I think we need to we need to find a new term for this sort of unit because this feels like studio dressing. No, we have one. It's called the 2020 Straight to Landfill Award. <laughs> I mean, honestly. Do you know what killed me? The AMS MOOC in the SOS video mm. came out with... Tell me. You could buy two for the same price as the original unit. <laughs> it's like, if I don't want one of these horrible Sandy 18 reverbs, why would I want two? How do you think you're selling me on two of these things? Oh, my God. But no, I think, I think we need a subcategory of Straight to Landfill of the Year Award. Okay. <laughs> because this sounds to me like something which will actually get to the studio and will sit pride of place mm. and just maybe never be plugged in. <laughs> you know? I haven't, I haven't seen the unit, but I'm assuming it looks really quite lovely. Yeah. And as you say, this is an iconic piece of kit that it's claiming to um, be a facsimile of. Yeah, and it has the same visual appeal of the original unit. Great! So what you've got is like the equivalent of a poster, but that takes up a lot of space. (laughs) The 3D poster award. The 3D poster award. Thank you. That's everything I wanted it to be. (laughs) Or it could be the the Dusty Controls award. (laughs) 
Oh, that's a question, Mike. In your mobile studio, what is the most dusty control? Um, the most dusty control. Probably the little impedance switch on my preamps. Okay. It's just built into the preamps that I use, the little audience ones. Mm -hmm. But, oh, God, who has time to faff around with different <laughs> impedances when they're actually setting up mics? I mean, honestly. Not divas like us. I mean, I did my first recording session of the year just the other day, mm. and we had to set up, what, like 24 mics in, in a couple of hours, and it was just me. So <laughs> you just don't have time to do that. <laughs> It's enough just to get a signal through. Yeah, yeah. If, if they're all making noise in the noise box, then, hey, nice. Yeah. I think for me, I have, I have a little MIDI keyboard, a lovely little oxygen thing, which does me well when I only need two octaves. Oh, yeah. It has nine little pots, which you can assign to wherever. Oh, yeah. And numbers three through nine need frequent dusting. <laughs> because I'm sure that Dead Mouse or Daedalus or one of those other D electronic music people would get great use out of all nine at the same time. Yeah. But honestly, if I don't feel like just modulating the wop wop on the filter <laughs> and I decide to put that on one and then... God, I'm even struggling to think of what to do with the second one. <laughs> Pan, maybe. Maybe I want to do live panning, as I record. Yeah. But beyond that, I, I just no time for it. Well, it's interesting you mentioned your MIDI keyboard, because, I mean, do you ever feel that your, your MIDI keyboard is, is lacking an octave somehow? And that, well, maybe it needs a, a kind of a ribbon controller? Mm, I'm listening. But more to the point... That it needs a strap that you can kind of wear it like a guitar. Okay, I'm going to have to stop you right there, Mike. <laughs> because Korg... What have they done? ...have been rolling out all sorts of exciting products. The ARP 2600, mm -hmm. the uh, new version of the Wave Station, a full-sized MS-20 reissue, but top of the billing for me is their RK100S2 Kitar. Oh, oh, wow, the Kitar's coming back. It's a fabulous thing. You can get it in black, white, and red, as you'd expect. It has the full angular styling thing going on. Yep. But there's all sorts of extra stuff. It's got <laughs> MIDI and USB outputs. It has a, a huge, great ribbon controller under the keys. Um, yeah, tell me more about this ribbon controller. Well, there are two of them. There's, there's the one for the left hand, of course, that you always had. Yeah. That's about maybe four or five inches long. Mm. But then there's another one that goes the whole way under the keys. And you can use it for like a full three octave pitch bendy theremony thing if you want, or, or for, for like large sweeps. Oh my God. Yeah. So I think that's quite cool. <laughs> it's also got a sound engine in it. It's got basically a micro cork built into it with an arpeggiator and everything. Okay, that's quite cool. I'm into that. But the thing that I really, really loved about this, mm. as much as just the fact that this thing exists again, <laughs> it's just such a funny thing. Mm -hmm. One of the American retailers, AmericanMusic.com, did a promotional video for the new guitar. Mm. And they just managed to make it sound so out of date. It's, it's so much like your dad's trying to sell it to you. <laughs> Some quotes were such as the curvaceous wood body that's available in three red glossy finish options. Wow. So you can rock along with your favourite tunes. <laughs> and then my irony circuits exploded. The, the irony meter wrapped itself around the end stop when he came out with mm -hmm. the RK100S is definitely not an 80s wannabe. <laughs> It's a sweet reboot of a keyboard classic, giving you a touch of that righteous 80s flair. Oh, wow. They're, just, they're going all in. And this from a guy who has a kind of a sub-Gary Rhodes spiky haircut. <laughs> oh, I should... See, okay, I'm looking, oh. I'm looking at some pictures of, the, um, of this RK100 guitar, and if there are any of our listeners wondering, okay, but, like, how did they update the look? 
of this instrument. Now that we are in the third decade of the 21st century, yes. you know, I'm curious to know how they didn't. And it's genius. They didn't even a little bit. This is your dad's guitar. This is possibly your grandfather's guitar. Oh, I was having such fun with it. And do you know what also? It led me to think a really random thought, right? Mm. You know, if a keyboard you want to play like a guitar is called a keytar, yeah. then shouldn't a guitar that you want to play like a keyboard be called a gibboard? <laughs> and basically that's a pedal steel. <laughs> well, I was going to say that they, they go by many names. Chapman sticks, pedal steels. But now it's the country keytar. <laughs> the country keytar. <laughs> Or as you say, git board, which I, I think is at least equally valid. Because this ungodly hybriding of uh, of musical instruments together is sadly, you know, has a, has a long and fraught history. Yeah. And did you know there's a difference between a banjitar and a git joke? <laughs> what? Now, now let me guess. Uh, a banjitar is the one that you smash with a hammer? And the... <laughs> And the git Joe is the one you set fire to. And equally, the um, banjolele exists. Oh, no. No, it does, and it's a powerful sound. And, but uke Joe doesn't, so far as I know, yet. I think the best sounding one is the banjolin. The banjolin? Yes. Like a mandolin-banjo hybrid. That's absolutely right. Freak. Specifically, it's strung as a mandolin. It's the size of a mandolin. But it's got that metal body. But you hate it the same way you hate the banjo. <laughs> banjo is a fan. Okay, I will go to bat for the banjo. I had to learn banjo a few months ago. And All right, okay. it's a gorgeous, complex, beautiful instrument. It always plays in 16, and you only use three fingers to play it. So from the beginning, it's a Sudoku on top of a crossword. And all the answers to how do you make something roll in 16s with three fingers are the myriad, like this this fractal gorgeousness of Scruggs-style three-finger playing. So come at the banjo, you're coming at me. It's a kind of love-hate relationship with a lot of these things, is that I just like to laugh at them. It's like, how can I possibly be taken seriously thinking any instrument's uncool as a violist? <laughs> so I'm happy to lay myself open to the same ridicule. Oh, right. So this is one of those punching down, punching up things. I've taken plenty in the past. I can dish it out. I, th I think you likely have. But you know what? We may have found a new whipping boy, even for viola players. Is it a viola, Joe? Oh, my God. <laughs> no, but we need to delete this recording so that our, our idea doesn't get out there and see if we can find a luthier who's willing to forego their oath of service, forego the luthier's code. <laughs> the Hippocratic oath. Yes, yeah. there you go. And do something truly ungodly. Wow. And make a banjola? <laughs> Bangiola. That sounds quite ba good. A banjola. <laughs> what are we doing? How do we get here? Right. How much does this um, guitar come in at? Because I want one in each colour, obviously. Now, that's a good question. I haven't looked up the price. Oh, so what would you guess? You know what? I think you're probably going to have to pay 700 quid for it. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to look it up because it is actually, I think, already available. Now I've nailed my colours to the mast. You have? Right. Um, Korg RK100. Let's see. Should we go for the red or the black? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the red ones are always faster. I Oh! Oh! What do you got? What do you look got? Look at that! What do you got? £766. Oh, that's got to feel good. It does. That's got to be lovely for the young Brits. I have a warm, glossy red glow <laughs> in a slightly <laughs> angular facial expression.
afraid I just can't wait any longer to get to our mailbag. Mm. It is teetering avalanche-like above me. Careful there. And it's only getting fuller and fuller by the second. So quickly, before it falls and crushes me, let me pull a couple of these eager missives from the pile and see if we can shed some of our wisdom upon them. Mm. So this this first question begins thus. Mm. Dear Breakers, I know it's not all about becoming a teen sensation pop star. Music is its own reward. And even if only one fan hears what I do and blah, 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 blah. But for real, honestly, (laughs) what is the best method for becoming a teen pop sensation? And that's from Aspiring in Anglesey. Well, I mean, I think the first thing is it should be obvious to everyone. The the best way to become a teen sensation is to be 23. I mean, basically, yeah. if you look at all the, like, YouTube people who are massive with the kind of pre-teen and teen audience, they're all, like, in their early early or late 20s. <laughs> and are just, like, dressing down, they're, like, wearing pigtails and slightly overbright makeup. I know that's what I do to appeal to our younger demographics. I'm sorry this isn't a video. <laughs> or it's a bit like all those actors in the straight-to-Netflix high school rom-com films. You know the ones? <laughs> you know, they're all supposed to be under 18, and yet they're clearly 25. Oh, but this isn't new. This goes from, like, back to the in-betweeners, yes. who, of course, were ex-Cambridge Footlights members. But there you go. Um, happy days. Yeah, ha- Dawson's Creek. <laughs> yes. I-, I think ever since TV, there's been this particularly creepy um, seam of thinking. So basically, the first way to become a teen pop sensation is not to be a teen. So now we're going to move on to how not to be pop and not to be a sensation, and I think then we've killed it. I think so. I think so. But no, aspiring in, in Anglesey, we-, we are going to break this one open for you, and you are going to become... An absolute marvel of a pop wonder. Mm. Let's start with the music. Okay. Not the main thing, but it, but it's a thing. That's usually the last in the list, but we'll get it out of the way so we can get on to the important stuff. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. What is it, do you think, Mike, that pop music is calling out for at the moment? What kind of sound? Well, I mean, Billie Eilish is all over everything, isn't it? It's true. It's true. So basically mute most of the stuff in your arrangement <laughs> and sing a bit too quiet. <laughs> Now, I'm going to say that if this person is starting now, Mm. they've got to be preparing for the post-Eilish. Yeah. So they need their RMX-16 and their keytar. That's what they need. They need a keytar. It's on the up and up. I'm calling this. I think Jollity is next. Oh, right. Okay. We've had darkness. We've had cynicism. Oh, yeah. Plastic Jollity. Would be an amazing band name. (laughs) (laughs) If this is, in fact, for a group then I'm, I'm going to go ahead and suggest that. Well, and, and of course, the cardinal rule here for any teen pop sensation is don't write your own songs. Oh, God, no. You know, Ugh. that's like mistake number one to try and do your own song. Um, and if in doubt, just cover someone else's. <laughs> You're just not old enough to write anything good, unless you happen to be Billie Eilish or a brother. But that very rarely happens. Aspiring in Anglesey, if in fact you're secretly Billie Eilish calling us for <laughs> advice, then you know what? You got it, sort of. Do what you're doing. <laughs> Not to worry. On the off chance that you're not, Mm. I'm actually going to say that I think we may have accidentally hit on our first bit of genuinely good advice here. Okay, right. Which would be to not write your own stuff, Mm. only because if some connected, interested, established songwriter has written your song, you've just doubled the number of people pushing this. Oh, yeah. Get a big writing team, definitely. And you've quadrupled or 
quintupled the industry power behind making this a thing. Yeah. So yeah, big teams, I think, are an excellent start. I mean, I think it's always been a good idea to have some element of taboo. I like that. I mean, if you think back to like a 16-year-old Britney Spears in school uniform <laughs> in Baby One More Time, you think of like the 15-come-16-year-old's underage lesbianism in uh, the tattoo single. All things she said. Right. Do you remember that? I do, I do, way back when. Ooh, school uniforms again. So, when you say an element of taboo, it sounds what you're saying is try to include some sexualization of underage women. Oh, well, no. I mean, teen homoeroticism is the staple of all boy bands. <laughs> I mean, uh, I need I need state no other example than the one I just recently sent you on YouTube, which is take that first single, do what you like. My goodness me. Yes, you did. <laughs> which has a video that, to repeat what was said <laughs> in relation to cats last month, you cannot unsee. <sighs> so... Approach with caution. <laughs> this is not an old song. No, this was released in the year of Screamadelica, mm. Blue Lines by Massive Attack, and um, Nirvana's Nevermind. Really? Oh, yeah. All those things happened the same year, 1991. Yeah, if you look back on this video, I could have sworn it was a spoof. Yes. When I started watching it, I thought, oh, someone's gone ahead and made a really silly version. Yeah. But no. It's just what it was. Basically, the very first thing you see is some guy in a glistening, bare, hairless chest yeah. wearing a leather jacket with tassels on it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spinning around. Though I will only point out that actually Take That as well was also manufactured as candy for the male gaze. Oh, absolutely. Their first set of gigs was in gay bars in London. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, genuinely true. And then they, they were discovered to have slightly broader appeal. But um, that's where it began, which is what makes the sexy women in that music video feel slightly bolted on, <laughs> slightly afterthoughtish. Oh, they're totally peripheral, aren't they? They are completely out there. Oh, it's just, you could not make it up. Or this thing way back when with the, with the Jonas Brothers. Oh, right, I haven't heard this one. I wasn't much following it, but of course, they were incredibly good Christian boys. Okay. And so they were being hailed by some as kind of an antidote to this sexualization of music. Mm. Until someone pointed out that much had been made of their promise ring. These rings some people wear uh, <laughs> to show that they, they've promised to not have sex before marriage. Oh, yes. And one commentator who I wish I could credit properly, but I can't remember who it was, was saying every time they talk about that, they're saying, don't think about having sex with the Jonas Brothers. <laughs> hey, you, just don't think about it. Stop, stop thinking about having sex with the Jonas Brothers. That's so good. And <laughs> I thought it was some incredibly incisive journalism. Yeah, so I think it's absolutely essential that you be taboo in some way. That, that's pretty much a, a surefire way. Even if it is one of the ways Billie Eilish has managed to buck the trend and break the mould and be interesting to talk about mm. is that she um, claims to have never taken any mind-altering substances. Wow. So something that cuts across your general vibe. Like, if you're going to be a punk rocker, volunteer at an animal shelter. Yeah. If you're going to be a goody-goody two-shoes, I don't know, be an expert rifle person. That's such a good idea. Yeah, do something that is counterintuitive for the way you're supposedly perceived. Yes. And it's such a great, delicate balancing act because you want to 
have an immediately digestible aesthetic. Yeah. You know, any picture of Billie Eilish gives you that, oh, this is this music. Says everything you need to know, yeah. You could say the same about Katy Perry back when she was in her proper bubblegum pop phase. Yeah. But yeah, having something that cuts against the grain. Mm. I like that. I would only add, from my extremely peripheral experience of having, you know, played for, provided technical support for, Mm. being in rooms with people trying to climb this particular mountain. Yes. Is that, you know, when you get to meet record people Mm. and management people and, and... Big cheeses. Big cheeses and fat cats... They want to see you as the next huge thing. Mm. And they also have 10 minutes of time to give you. Mm. So the majority of your effort, the core of your campaign should be a 10 minute long something, which is as convincing as possible. Mm. It's heartbreaking when I work with people who have put together an album that they're really proud of. Yeah. And an aesthetic and a band Which involves me, so it must have been pretty good. I mean, they got the top people in. Yes, exactly. But they don't know what to do in these weird 10-minute long gigs that you will spend weeks and weeks doing in in offices. Yeah. And stuttering through questions. So even if it feels inauthentic, have some answers prepped. Be drilled. Yeah. It's no different, actually, than interviewing for a job. Absolutely not. Steady, that's actually good advice. (laughs) Sorry, sorry, I'm completely (laughs) (laughs) off-brand. I was going to mention something much less useful. Oh, do say. Well, I think there's a good deal of history that suggests that if you want to be a really top pop star, Mm. then the first thing you have to do is aim unsuccessfully for TV stardom. (laughs) You know, I mean, think about it. You've got like Jason Donovan, Kylie Minogue, Natalie Imbruglia. Those are all kind of people from the 90s. But think about it like Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, Justin Timberlake. Oh, wow. They were all in the Mickey Mouse Club. Yeah. So go for the TV until you're jaded enough and you've got enough of a kind of a TV gloss on you that then you can just go, oh, f*** it, I'll just be a musician. And then Miley Cyrus. There you go. The list goes on. Or Selena Gomez. Wow. Oh, my God. They're all in it together. (laughs) I can see it clearly now. (laughs) The cork board with the red string between the photos. (laughs) It finally all makes sense. Oh, wow. I heard someone refer to that kind of trope the other day as the conspiracy dungeon. (laughs) I love that. I love the fact that it now just has a catch-all term and everyone knows it. You, You don't need to hear more than that and you know exactly where you are and what you're And also, why does the string always have to be red? Yes. I love that. Because it does have to be red, doesn't it? It does. (laughs) Where do you buy red string? (laughs) You go to your local haberdashers and go, yeah, um, I'm I'm working on the conspiracy. And they go, oh, we've got just a thing for you, sir. Um, (laughs) What length do you need? It's like, we've got 100 and 200 metres. How deep does this conspiracy go? (laughs) All the way to the top, sir. Right, I'll get you the 200 metre spool then. Goodness me. Now, there's something that connects John and I, a psychic (laughs) nexus between us that is called... Oh, dear. Being a viola player. Okay. Okay, I'm going to let you carry on, Mike, but this is technically libel, what you're doing at the moment. I know that you play the viola, because you said before. My question is, how did that come about? (laughs) Um, I don't. When did I say that? You thought you said you were a viola player. No, I, I can get by on a little bit of viola. So what you meant was, you can play the viola, but you're not a viola player as such. So I, I'm not a specialist. You didn't inhale. <laughs> I would never, would never. In a room full of percussionists or pianists or singers, mm. I'm a viola player. 
Um, <laughs> in a room that includes one or more string players, I keep my mouth shut. Right, right. <laughs> sort of thing. You're, you're viola under duress. There you go. Mm. Look, first position is my only position. Okay. I'm, I'm not particularly Kama Sutric right. <laughs> in, um, in my viola playing. Well, uh, for me, it was the classic story. Mm-hmm. Second-rate violinist persuaded to take up the viola so he can play with the big kids, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the problem is that once you are known to have taken up the viola, then it becomes a bit self-fulfilling. Right. Because it's all that anyone ever wants you to play. <laughs> and so from just like being in the second-grade ensembles, on a violin the moment you even smell a viola yeah. then all of a sudden everyone wants you to play in everything <laughs> and this was the case in my kind of high school days interesting and uh, this face palm that I'm going to be dealing with this month is to do with one of those concerts that happened at the school but of course you actually carry two of these dark marks because you're not only a viola player you're a viola playing tenor yes yes and actually there will be a future face palm about me being a tenor too oh I should hope so Male tenors are rare enough does to be much in demand, but for some reason, they also carry a similar level of stigma. Yes. No one likes you, and you have to play in all of their things. It's a, it's a funny life. Yeah, well, so, like many a concert after I took up the viola, it was the, the school Christmas concert, mm-hmm. and I was playing in almost everything. <laughs> Whether it was some kind of string quartet, or ensemble, or the backing for some person playing a baroque concerto, or it was in an orchestra of one type or another. Mm. And um, they had quite a big performance hall at that school. It was maybe five, six hundred people. It was packed. Mm. And um, my mother uh, is never the most prompt to turn up at things. <laughs> so by the time she arrived... For any non-English listeners listening, <laughs> that, that was the most wonderfully English understatement <laughs> you will hear today. <laughs> Nothing had to be said and everything was understood. And... Um, as a result, by the time that she tried to find seats for her and myself, you know, so I could sit while I wasn't actually playing on the stage, mm. um, our seats were quite close to the back of the hall. And she saved one for me, and so we parked ourselves at the beginning of the concert, because I wasn't playing the first number, mm-hmm. and uh, sat down to get ready to listen to the, those bits before I then kind of snuck around the back and grabbed my viola and went on for most of the other stuff. Mm-hmm. And the first ensemble came onto the stage and sat down, the chairs and stands had been set up, mm. and the conductor didn't come on. Mm-hmm. And still didn't come on. <laughs> and then finally, okay. the door at the side of the stage opened and the conductor still didn't come on. <laughs> My violin teacher came on. <laughs> oh. He walks to the front of the stage and says, Is Michael Senior in the audience? <gasps> <laughs> because I had mistaken which pieces I wasn't playing in. And so I had to do the full walk of shame right down the center <laughs> aisle from the back. Oh, goodness me. To the biggest applause of the evening, of course. <laughs> what a sight to behold. So you do your Oscar acceptance walk up onto the stage <laughs> as an entire orchestra stands ready and waiting. <laughs> now, the reason why this is a kind of face palm thing is that I like to learn lessons from this. This is the first real situation in my life where I had that moment of the alarm bells ringing in the background and thinking, there must be something wrong here, and ignoring them. Right, right. <laughs> it's where my highly tuned hearing for these alarm bells began to develop. Mm -hmm. You know, as I sat down and looked at the programme, I remember thinking, oh, the idiots have put the stuff in the wrong order. (laughs) (laughs) And then again, oh my God. (laughs) And then again, when all these musicians walked on stage and I had that moment of, 
oh, they all look familiar. (laughs) And also, I could have seen that there was one seat spare. That no one has yet... All these bits of information were coming in and this sense of unease was kind of there, but I was like, no, what what could possibly go wrong? (laughs) Oh, so, I mean, this was my very first and gold-plated example of listen for those little alarm bells going off. I I am so 100% with you. I... A lesson I have learned a hundred times and will probably learn a hundred times more is that any thought that begins with, oh, those idiots have, should be treated with the utmost suspicion. Because more often than not, no, they haven't. And no, they're not. Uh, it takes an idiot to know one. Yes, Basically is what it means. There you go. Now, what would Batman be without Robin? What would Bangers be without Mash? And what would a tea break be without a little slice of toast smeared with jam? Over to you, Mike. Oh, that is some gravelly wholemeal seeds and nuts multigrain artisan toast, Mike. This is the one that has been on a toasting fork, this one, I think. Oh, you're not wrong. Probably a hand-forged fork. (laughs) I bet the flour came from a a, a mill just down the river Mm. from this warm, thatched cottage which we're suddenly recording in. It was taken by a horse cart. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) God, that actually made me a little bit hungry. Do you know what this foley could double as? What? It could double as the sound of a security guard walking across gravel. (laughs) (laughs) You're right, it does. And I can see why that would be. Put me out of my misery. What could it possibly be? It's one of those plastic tubs of roast onions that you put on (laughs) hot dogs. Okay. I was just kind of rolling it gently so that the the onions kind of shift inside the tub. Okay. It's left over from my my Groundhog's Day Eve party the other day. (laughs) I'm going to file that one under literally any excuse. Yes, it was. It was totally a literally any excuse to have a party in February because nothing else is going on. I, I don't disagree. And laugh at Bill Murray, who is always worth <laughs> being laughed at. Oh, did you actually watch Groundhog Day? Oh, we totally did. We had a screening of Groundhog's Day with a projector and everything. Amazing. And so, this heralds in the jam. What jam are you going to put on this wholesome, naturalistic toast? Oh, gosh. I feel kind of bad putting this jam on this particularly good toast because it's a track I'm very fond of and have very mixed feelings about. Oh, right. Now, um, I don't know, two or three weeks ago, Mm. I was on BBC News and I happened across an article about an uproar caused by some new Eminem track. Oh, right. And I haven't listened to Eminem in... I don't know, something like a decade. Right. And I thought, okay, let's let's see what it is. And it was a flippant reference to uh, a, a, sh- a mass shooting in, in the United States that apparently happened in one of his songs. And yes. I um, thought, well, okay, let's, you know, I'm, I'm on a long bus journey. <laughs> let's have an actual listen to this track. Yeah. The track is unaccommodating by Eminem off his new album, Music to be Murdered By. So I see he's gone off on a tangent here. <laughs> Certainly, that doesn't sound in his wheelhouse at all. Surely not violence. That doesn't <laughs> seem like Eminem. Um, if we begin with the music, mm. I, I, I've listened to this album now and this track many, many times. Mm. You heard it for the first time this morning. What's uh, the first impression of Unaccommodating? 
Um, from a kind of production perspective, I felt a bit kind of underwhelmed in a general sense, actually. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's partly because I'm I'm such a massive Dr. Dre fan, mm-hmm. and I like a lot of the earlier Eminem productions that Dr. Dre did. Mm-hmm. And this just kind of feels a little bit now in a bad way. Interesting. It's like got the bits that I don't like about hip-hop at the moment. Just sounds a bit, yeah, kind of over bassy and flabby and stuff. And and so, yeah, I, I was just felt a bit lukewarm about it. See, I don't even slightly disagree with that analysis of the beat. And you've mentioned in the past that you're just not much of a lyrics person normally, especially on early listens. Yeah. And for me, this is just where the whole track and the whole album lives. I still just don't know anyone who does it as well as him. Yes. I'm a big rap fan. I'm always looking for new stuff to come up. Yeah. I'm kind of interested the way that everyone's adopted this kind of looser, trappier kind of style of rap that Drake brought into the mainstream. Yeah. And there are interesting people doing interesting things, but just no one who does it, as well as Eminem. He's an absolute phenomenon. Just, I'm going to pull out a couple of incredible um, bits of lyrical genius and storytelling. Um... Poor righteous teachers tutored my students, showing them all the blueprint and formula, but it seems like the more they studied my music, the more they remind me of eyeballs. <laughs> so that's a bit of a weird setup. Yeah. And then he just he just delivers it all. I'm watching my pupils get cornea. Oh my god. I kn- I know. Wow. How good is that? How and it's just <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a perfectly balanced dish. Yeah. Um in another track, Into Deep. Um, now, I, I, Long John Silver's is a chain restaurant in the US, uh, a seafood restaurant. Yeah. And Into Deep is a story about um, two people who are having a relationship, both of them cheating on their existing partners. And as he kind of gets deep into this psychosis, the way it's ruining with his life, mm. he kind of wrestles with their own flaws. And he says, you can just call us Long John Silver's because we selfish. Oh. He just drops these things like they're nothing, but they're beautiful, clever... Um, they're like perfectly crafted one-liners. Yep, which go past in zero seconds. Um, I don't smoke, but I got paper to be blunt. I'm rolling Indo. Yes. Indo being another name for Indica. Yeah. It was listen for that I kind of felt like I'd got most of the games. Yeah, it's so dense that you have to listen to it more than once just to get all the stuff out of it. Yeah. And the thing is, and it's not just the lyrics for me... Mm. You see, that's what always set him out for me right at the beginning, Mm. is that it's not just about the words he uses. It's about the massive range of different deliveries he uses, his vocal technique. It's what you would do with, like, a string sample library if you hit the little key switches (laughs) and went from, like, legato to staccato to spiccato to colegno. And he's Mm -hmm. doing that... With rapping technique. Yes. You listen to most rappers, and they have like one or two ways of rapping. And he just switches between dozens of different ways of rapping Mm -hmm. in the most virtuosic way. It's not his speed that amazes me about him. It's the range of expression that he gets through. Expression is the word. He's a wizard with just using rhythm and coming up with new ways of sitting his lyrics over the beat. I I marvel at his technique and musicality. Honestly, musicality and the way he does his his rapping. I couldn't be more with you. The track that I am waiting to hear Mm. is a drum kit cover of an Eminem song. Yeah. There's rhythmic stuff, there's expression stuff, which would carry an instrumental version. Wow. Then there's the bits that suck about liking Eminem raps. Yeah. (laughs) Because you find yourself waxing lyrical 
about someone who says some real nasty nonsense. And he has always played that shock card. Mm. Every f***ing record he puts out, he comes out with some... Like you say, just nasty stuff. The thing is, I've spent some time on this because he's very thoughtful, he's very political. Mm. He's talked about being a parent, being a good parent, setting a good example for his daughter. And I found lots of justifications that build off this idea of the shot card, mm. of this idea that he raps as three different characters, as Eminem, Slim Shady and Marshall Mathers at different times. Yeah. The idea that, you know, the really nasty stuff is, is meant to purge mm. this kind of negative idea that it's not glorifying it. Mm. But there's two problems I find with that. Right. One is that he makes it sound good. Yeah. Like it's cool. Yeah. Whether or not he set out to do it glorifies it. And the second one is that all these kind of clever justifications, these brain acrobatics, they don't come from him. Right. At least not explicitly. Yeah. These are fans searching for ways to like him in an uncomplicated way. It's difficult to know whether you're being objectionable in a knowing way to make a point or whether you're just being objectionable. Are you familiar with John Wayne Gacy, the, the serial killer from the States from many years ago? I don't know that particular one. There are plenty to choose from, though. John Wayne Gacy was recorded in the annals partly because he dressed up as a clown. Right. And this added to the darkness and the horror of what he did. Yeah. But in Unaccommodating, he's talking about the way people persecute him and the way people take him too seriously. Yeah. But the line he chooses is, man, I don't see why they hate me. I'm a clown, like John Wayne Gacy. Yeah. To me, that couplet is everything. Because he gives you a lifeline, and then he just <laughs> twists it 19 degrees. <laughs> well, you know what this means. Tell me. It means that you are turning into your dad. Because <laughs> this is exactly the same thing I felt listening to Billie Eilish. Right. It's like, this is brilliant work, but I feel really uncomfortable about it promoting self-harm and suicide. Right. Yeah. Even though she's saying that, no, I'm not doing that, it makes it cool. And it's the same thing. So congratulations. Welcome to the club. <laughs> oh, guys, this is what it's like to be old. You see, it only took me 23 episodes <laughs> to lure no, you in. I've been changed. To poison you with I'm my... I'm moving away from Berlin. I'm losing my <laughs> cultural cachet. It's, um, it's all going down. I had this experience a couple of months ago. I was hanging out with an 18-year-old for lots of good reasons. Okay. And they were playing me some rap that they really liked. And it was just like, ah, it was violently offensive. Right. It was violently misogynistic. Mm. And they were just kind of bopping along. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, like, did they just say that and that? And like, what do you think of that? Are you actually listening? Yeah. Are you actually listening to this? Like, what do you think about someone who says that? And they... <laughs> <laughs> it was the most frustrating thing in the world. They're like, oh, oh, okay, you don't like this kind of music. That's okay, I'll turn it off. And they're like, no, no, I'm asking you to engage. Not disappear into the echo chamber. I, what hurt was that I just remembered being on the opposite side of that. I remembered knowing that there was music I couldn't play when my mum was home. Yep. And it never occurred to me that she might have interesting things to say about it. Yeah. Or, you know, want to have a conversation. It was just like, oh, no, she doesn't get it. Yeah. And I'm on the other side of the fence now, and it sucks over here. I think the word you were looking for was hill, not fence. Hill, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> on the slide down. <laughs> It remains only for us to thank our kind and generous sponsors. Now, John, have you ever heard of something called synesthesia? Now, if my understanding is right, that is when you can see sounds or taste sights or, or something like that. Is, is that 
roughly it? Yeah. It's a crossover between the senses where some people can translate sight into sound or, like you say, um, sight into taste or smell into sound. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a specialist company called Volcano Audio. I'm so glad there is. And they've come out with a special new stereo lava lamp system. That leverages this technology so that you can get all the benefits of listening on headphones without having to wear headphones. <laughs> they use this synesthetic connection to pipe the audio directly through the lava lamps into people who are synesthetically sensitive. Incredible. So, yes, it's a bit niche. But for those who want it, they need it. It is the way forward. I don't for one second doubt it. Yeah. Well, a huge thank you to Volcano. Mike, do you have anything to plug this month? Well, I have just released a special open to the public episode of my Cambridge MT podcast because um, I just reviewed a new Neumann speaker system that I'm so excited about and it's so brilliant that I felt I needed to shout to everyone about it. So I've made that free to view. So if you go over to the um, Cambridge MT site, anyone can listen to it. Amazing. And what is the address of the Cambridge MT site for those uninitiated? It's www.cambridge-mt.com Fantastic. Well, I will be heading there fairly directly after this recording. And what about yourself? For myself, well, when you hear this, I will have just begun my run of the Wicker Husband at the Watermill Theatre in Newbury. So if you are local, by which I mean north of the equator, then get yourself (laughs) over there. And if we do have any tea breakers in the audience, uh, drop me a tweet ahead of time so I will make sure that I am in the bar to uh, refund your ticket and apologise <laughs> just so profusely for um, <laughs> I joke it's going to be a brilliant show so yeah just that and if you would like any more of this nonsense oh yes then do head over to our Patreon site we've been fan casting about Clean Bandit and uh, Michael Bublé there's been <laughs> exciting news of our sister show Project Stewbreakers oh my goodness me and we've also been going over our New Year's resolutions mm-hmm. and discussing important topics such such as pins dipped in chocolate. (laughs) (laughs) That last one is not our idea. This is what makes it truly mad. And so with that pen, I will now sign off for this month and say ta-da! Oh, the segues are thick and fast. (laughs) Ta-ra, pets. (laughs) 